0: The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. I'm speaking today about um, living with angst, uh, finding peace in an anxious world. Uh, and it might just be me, but um, it seemed like the right topic. I've been dealing a lot with um, middle school and high school kids who are who are having a lot of anxiety, and it's become kind of epidemic in our culture, uh, for our middle school and high school kids, uh, dealing with that. And it just keeps increasing exponentially as, um, technology pushes them faster and faster and social media becomes more a part of their lives and comparison and instant news and instant feedback. So it's a very anxious time. And, and, uh, you know, I felt some of it this week. I had a, a little dose of angst too, you know, with. Uh, uh, with the shootings in Florida, and then also uh, you know the next morning, I wake up my phone 's ringing while i 'm still in bed and it 's the it 's the high school down the street where my uh, nephew goes to school and and um, they 're saying that they 'd had a threat the night before and that they were having extra security at the school, and school 's still going to be open and you know and then you know his parents are calling me up and i 'm wonder what what do I say what do I say and you know we got a call later that someone had been taken into custody and but it stuck with me it's um, it, it seems to be our new normal and it's tough to accept that and and that uh, just that feeling so I want to talk today about some things that we can do about it and because even ministers get anxious okay we get anxious too I, you know I was reminded this week of a story of a young minister down in the south and it was his first parish and he was he was very excited he was really nervous and he got sent out to to uh do a memorial do, do a graveside funeral for a man who didn't have any family there was just going to be a couple people there and it was in a rural area out in the middle of nowhere so he geared up he put his suit on and he you know headed out there to find it and uh Next thing you know, he's lost. He didn't know where he is, and he's driving around, and it's getting later and later, and the few people he's going to meet, you know, they're going to be gone by now, and he he's sweating through his suit. He's so anxious, and he just keeps driving and driving. Finally, he turns down this road, and <clears throat> he's found it. He sees the backhoe there, and and so he pulls over to the side of the road. And there's a couple guys sitting on the backhoe and um, kind of taking a break. And he's like, "Okay, well, I'm going to do this." He grabs his Bible and he gets out of there. And he's nervous, but he goes over to the to the grave there, and he can see that it's already been covered up. That that, that the cover is on the on the casket, and and um, so he he does his best. He does some scripture readings he does a very powerful prayer and he knows he's done his best. And as he's walking away, he waves to these two guys and they they nod to him and he drives away and one of them says to the other, you know, I've been putting in septic tanks for a long time and I've never seen anything like that. So anxiety, yeah. So anxiety, it comes to get all of us. And, uh, you know, it was, it was about a month ago, we had a movie over in the, in the Vote Center on a Saturday afternoon called Angst, and um, it's just about adolescent anxiety, and a lot of kids in the movie, is about a one-hour movie, I wound up watching it five times, I just fell in love with these kids, talking about their lives, and the effort that it takes for them just to go to school every day, and the things that the kids are going through now, and, um, It was an amazing thing. So the word angst itself, I need to give you a definition. It's a German word with a uh, kind of a deep existential meaning. Uh, They like to go dark. But uh, it can be defined as a feeling of deep anxiety or dread, typically an unfocused one about the human condition or the state of the world in general. That's angst. Anybody feeling any of that? So... uh, so it was great to have this movie uh, that our kids could look at. We had about three hundred people there—parents and kids—and and, and uh, we had a great discussion afterwards. Kind of led q and A Q&A and a little discussion in the room so that our kids in this community could talk about what they're going through. And it's a big thing that's up now. Uh, like a third of the third of the population of this country, they figure has. Uh, a high level of anxiety. And it just seems to keep incru- increasing. That is our mental disorder, if you want to call it that. And I think we need to find ways to deal with it, and that's what I want to talk about today. That's what I want to talk about today, is accepting the truth that this is going on without, around us, but also accepting the truth that we are not helpless. We are not helpless. We can do something about this, on an individual and a collective level. And I think that we're up for this task. I really do. So to start out with, the first point that I have today is what we call in the teen church DSP, daily spiritual practice. We've got to do our practice every morning before we step into the world, walk out into the world, turn on the ways of the world. We need to connect we need to connect with that power within us that is greater than all these circumstances. We've got to start there. It's an individual work that we're about here. If peace is going to come to us, it needs to come to a peaceful people. We need to create that sense of peace within us. You knew you were going to get some nanda today, and here it is. <laughs> Just beneath the shadows of this life is God's wondrous light. The universe is a vast temple of God's presence. When you meditate, you will find doors opening to him everywhere. When you have communed with God, not all the ravages of the world can take away that joy and peace. We need to begin there. We need to do our spiritual practice. Not because we should or because it's a good idea, but because this is the most important relationship that we have the most important relationship that we have. The week after we showed this uh, angst movie over in the Vote Center, we started a four-week workshop for teenagers called Mindfulness for Teens. had 17 kids in there. Now, I know most of them have been dragged there by their moms, <laughs> but that's okay. They were there. <clears throat> and they were learning about meditation They were learning about breathing techniques, about journaling, about artwork, and about ways to center themselves in this world that they're in. About ways to disconnect from this world that's coming at them all the time, this world of information that's coming at them all the time, and to drop into the heart of who they are. And we're going to keep doing that work because it's important. We've got one for middle school kids coming up in a couple weeks. It's an important part of our teaching that's been here for a long time and has never been more important than it is now, to do our work, to do our work daily, to connect with that power and that presence and that divine wisdom and intelligence that is alive in us, seeks to express itself through us and has the wisdom to help us solve whatever problems befall us. You know, we have a tendency to think because of the way things are cranking that it's never been this bad. That's not true. That's not true. There's always been things going on. There's always been things for humans to deal with. And there are spiritual solutions to these problems. And that's what we're seeking. In our uh, classes, our Science of Mind classes, I was teaching one last week, and some great stuff in there from Ram Dass about meditation. From his book, The Journey of Awakening. And he was careful to call the book Journey of Awakening instead of Journey to Awakening because he wants us all to know we're not going to get there. We're in the midst of it. And we're in the midst of this process all the time that we're here. And it's important that we distinguish between the ways of the world, our thoughts about the world, and the part of us that's so much deeper that can connect with something. So he calls... Our usual way of thinking, he calls it the ego room. That's the definition that he put on it. And he talks about the, the difference between our ego, which is our operating system, and our soul, which is a connection to the divine essence of us. And the door to the soul opens inward. We can push out all we want. It opens inward. We have to open to it. Here's what he said about our ego room. Your ego is a set of thoughts that divines your universe. It's like a familiar room built of thoughts. You see the universe through its windows. You are secure in it, but to the extent that you are afraid to venture outside, it has become a prison. Your ego has you conned. You believe you need its specific thoughts to survive. The ego controls you through your fear of loss of identity. To give up these thoughts, it seems, would annihilate you, so you cling to them. But there is an alternative. You needn't destroy the ego to escape. You can keep this familiar room to use as you wish, and you can be free to come and go. First, you need to know that you are infinitely more than the ego room by which you define yourself. Once you know this, you have the power to change the ego from prison to home base. That's what we're about connecting with the bigger aspects of ourselves. And our spiritual practice is the most important thing that needs to be into our daytimers every day. And we can't surrender to the urgency of the world and forget the importance of our connection with spirit. So that's where we begin. We begin with our spiritual practice because we as individuals are going to come together and work on these problems that are surrounding us. There are spiritual solutions to them. The next thing I think we need to do is we need to find joy. We need to find joy in our lives. Do the things that bring us joy. When I'm teaching my parenting classes, rule number one, always, take good care of yourself. Take good care of yourself. Put yourself first in a healthy way. We have to do the things that bring us joy. We all know the things that we enjoy the most that kind of turn off our internal dialogue because we're having so much fun. We all know what those are. We need to connect with those things and not think that we're too busy to do them, to find that balance in our life for the joy. You know, I have a good friend who works uh, in the IT field he was telling me a while back, he said, yeah, I just worked, started this new company. It's really, <clears throat> it's really good, doing great work. And the policy is you can take as much time off as you want, whenever you want it. And he said, and nobody takes any time off. They don't want to fall behind. They're too busy. That's what's causing us anxiety right there. We need to find joy in our lives and make time for it. Make time for it. You know, yesterday I was here and doing a uh, workshop with all the volunteers in our youth ministry, and it was great. I found a lot of joy in my life by working with kids. And there was a room full of people yesterday who felt that same joy. And we were talking about things, but you could just feel in the room how much joy they felt working with our kids. Just being in a classroom. And you don't need any special skills, just an open heart to be present. So if you're looking for a place to find joy, I invite you into that. I know that that's a shameless plug, but (laughs) not not only is it true, it's important. It's important to build a community around this next generation of kids where they can feel safe, where they can feel loved, because they're ready. They're ready to take this thing over. They want some solutions. You can feel it. And we've got to align ourselves with them to do that. Marianne Williamson said something about this work and how important it is. She said, There is no single effort more radical in its potential for saving the world than a transformation of the way we raise our children. They must grow up to be adults with only a fraction of our neuroses or the world is in serious trouble. This is not the time to mimic our parents. You know, it was great yesterday too as I was driving home. <clears throat> I got done with this this workshop being with all these youth leaders and uh, I just felt so good. Then I turned on the radio and there was a spring training baseball game on. <laughs> and I realized... I don't care who's playing. I don't care who's up. I just love the sound of it on the radio. You know? That brings me joy. So find your joy and make time for it. Make time for it and know that you deserve to be happy no matter what's going on in the world. The last point I wanted to talk about is going beyond our tribes. We are in a time of such incredible tribalism right now in our country. We keep separating ourselves into tribes. So much of it has to do with our politics. And that is ego-driven. Politics is the best that the ego has to offer. we got to look for spiritual solutions. Our tribes divide us into... Races and creeds and ideologies and political parties and left and right. It's there all the time and then every tribe has their own pundits. We got tribal pundits who every day, no matter what's going on in the world, you can turn on those pundits and they will have that point of view. And you can stay in that tribal way of thinking. But that anger And that self-righteousness that comes from tribalism, that's what keeps us from solving our problems. So a big part of what this is about, I think, is going beyond our tribes. Ernest Holmes called this race consciousness, the race mind, race thinking, what people are thinking about all the time, what people are talking about, and we have found the ways through our technology to amplify the negativity of the race mind. Anybody can say anything and throw it up on the screen and we've got to deal with it. And we get locked into that anger and that divisiveness. We need to go beyond that. That's what the masters have been telling us since the beginning of time, that we need to go beyond our tribes. Yogananda said this, Equality cannot be established by force. It must come from the heart. We must start now with ourselves. We should try to be like the divine ones who have come on earth again and again to show us the way. By our loving each other and keeping our understanding clear as they taught and exemplified, peace can come. Peace can come. This is the message that the great ones have taught us in all cultures, in all places. And if we're going to find peace, we have to open the door inward. You know, I was reading this week something from um, Dwight Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, a guy who'd seen a lot of war in his day. And he, uh, he was talking about peace, how we're going to find peace. He was committed to it. And he knew how hard it was. And he said, I like to think that people in the long run are going to do more to promote peace than our governments. Indeed, I think that people want peace so much that one of these days, governments had better get out of the way and let them have it. So I heard a politician say once that, and she was a... um, She was a representative in the House of Representatives, and she said, politicians are looking for a parade to jump in front of. I think we need to build a parade of people who want peace, who are willing to go beyond party lines to get it, and I think leaders will rise who will jump in front of that parade. I know they will. I have no doubt. And speaking of spiritual masters, you know, the more I study the Gospels, study the teachings of Jesus, the more that I am convinced that the greatest part of his message was this, to go beyond our tribes. To go beyond our tribes. He talked about loving our enemies, not just our friends. That's what got him into trouble. Talking to his tribe about that. About that potential that lives within us, within all of us if we go beyond our tribes. There's a great story in the in the Gospels, it's in three of the Gospels, about a group of Pharisees coming to Jesus with a question, and they started out with, you know, praising him, boy, you're doing a great job, doing a great job, really love what you're doing here, and we're wondering, I might be paraphrasing here, uh, <clears throat> we're wondering, in terms of, Uh, paying tribute to the Romans. Should we be paying taxes to the Romans? Now, in the political culture that he was around, it was very highly charged because his tribe, the Jews, were under the thumb of the Roman government. And there was a, a movement afoot within the Jews to overthrow that Roman government, to overthrow that yoke, and they wanted Jesus to lead them. There was a group of people that wanted Jesus to lead them. So they asked him this question Should we be paying our taxes, the Roman government? It was a trap. If he said yes, he's not with his tribe. If he says no, we shouldn't, he's up for treason. It was a trap. And he said, Why do you ask me this? You hypocrite. He said, Give me a coin. Whose face is on the coin? Caesar. Give the Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but give to God the things that are God's. That's the message. It's still the message. Politics is the best that the ego has to offer. Our soul is where we're going to do our work. Not only on the big screen and the big stage, but in our families. With our neighbors. If we can't get along with our in-laws, how do we think we're going to solve peace in the Middle East? We've got to get along with each other, and it starts inside of us, with our neighbors who think differently than us. We've got to find a way to build bridges to them. Now I want to finish up with a, uh, <clears throat> with a story here. I first, first heard this story from David Wilcox, and I just loved it. And uh, I think it had been about two years maybe since these neighbors had even spoken to each other. And it all started with the the dumbest thing. It was just this stray cat. And one of the neighbors thought it was theirs and then went over to the other house and got up on the porch there and that neighbor started feeding it, took it in. And after a while, both of them just thought it was their cat. And then every time they got together, they'd start talking, and then they'd start arguing about it. And then after a while, they'd just stop talking. So when the traveler came to town and looking for work, one of those farmers said, uh, Oh, yeah, you say you're a carpenter? I got some work for you. You see that house over there? That's my damn neighbor. (laughs) And see that ditch running through the middle of the land there? He calls that the creek The creek He dug that with his plow Went up on the hill Changed the way that the water comes down It's got a little trickle running through it The creek Well if he's going to divide us up that way I'd say let's just finish the job I want you to build me a fence Right across here so I don't even have to look at him Can you do that? And the carpenter said, well, I could, but uh, I need a whole lot more wood. I can get started with what you got in your shed there, but you're going to have to go into town and get more. So by the time that farmer gets back, driving his old pickup truck down that rutted road full of lumber, he looks out into that field and where his fence is supposed to be, and he sees that the carpenter's built a bridge out of his wood. Onto his land. And here comes his neighbor walking across his bridge onto his land. Big old stupid grin on his face, hand outstretched, and he says, You are a brave man. I never thought you'd want to hear the sound of my voice. Can you ever forgive me? I just feel so stupid. And that farmer hears himself saying, Oh, hell, I knew that was your cat. (laughs) (laughs) And then that farmer says, Hey, he sees the carpenter walking away. Hey, I got some more work for you. And he said, You'll be fine. I got other places to work.